Let's go ahead, if you got your Bibles with you today, go ahead and be turning to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter number 16. We are going to be continuing our series, Refocus. And as I say each week, our hope, our desire through this series is that as we examine the gospel accounts, as we see uh, Jesus' message and his movements through the gospel accounts, uh, hopefully we get a clearer picture of who he is, of what he's about. Because religion has uh, really misinformed us. It has maligned the character of Jesus. And so I just want to kind of throw away all those things and just look at Christ for who he is. Uh, two weeks ago, well, let me, let me back up just a second. We've been in a uh, section of scripture here in the book of Luke where Jesus is uh, not too far from the cross, and he is spending time teaching a mixed multitude, people who are for him, people who are against him, and people who are still deciding. He's teaching this group using stories and parables and uh, going through many different things, trying to kind of prepare for his departure, if you will. This all began back, and I haven't covered this yet, but this all began back whenever he was invited to have dinner at a Pharisee's house. And at that dinner, he began speaking to them, and it continued and overflowed past that dinner, okay? And so where we were at two weeks ago, uh, the scribes and Pharisees had criticized Jesus because he uh, kept in company with uh, publicans and sinners, that he was hanging out with the undesirables. And so Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, showing that God loves uh, the son that stayed as well as the son that strayed, okay? And our basis for our relationship with God is his love and his goodness for us, just like that father's love for those two children, regardless of how they had done him wrong, regardless of their attitude toward him, they both loved him or he loved both of them, excuse me. And so if we are the son that's straight, if we get away from God, the best thing that we can do is get back to him as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. We know that he loves us. We know that he forgives us. We don't want to take advantage of him, but we know that we don't have to stay in the hog pen. Mm -hmm. But if we are the son that stayed, if we are living morally, if we are living a religious life, uh, we aren't uh, in possession of anything that we have, or we can't look to our morality and to our, uh, our living as showing us deserving of what we have. Every good thing that we have comes from God. Everything that we have is because of the Father. And so we need to love the Father and appreciate Him. And we need to also love the sinners, love those who have sinned against the Father because the Father loves Him as well. Because the older brother, we saw that he hated his brother because he thought that he was better than him, right? And we as Christians, regardless of where we fall in it, we're no better than anyone else. The Father loves us all. And so anyway, last week, Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus to the covetous Pharisees, because as Jesus had told them the story of the prodigal son, their focus was on the, the riches and on the waste and all of these things, because they didn't care about people. They didn't care about the prodigal. They cared about amassing power and wealth to themselves. And so Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus, and they thought that uh, their wealth, their success and everything guaranteed them God's favor, guaranteed them their spot in heaven. And whenever Jesus began to tell about this rich man who opened up his eyes in hell being in torments, that had to be shocking to him. Or not to him, but to, I guess it would have been to him as well. But it would have been shocking to the, the Pharisees that someone who was so successful, someone who was so blessed, ended up being judged. And then whenever uh, 
when Lazarus, the poor beggar, the man that was in poverty, whenever he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom and being comforted, that was absurd to them. They didn't understand this because they thought that blessings on earth carried over to blessings in eternity and that uh, struggles and troubles on earth carried over to basically a, a cursed eternity. And so this turned all of it on their heads. And so what Jesus was doing is he was uh, pulling back the curtain on eternity. He was trying to give them a different view. He was trying to uh, help them to see things differently than what they were. And whenever we realize that uh, this life is but a vapor, that there is an eternity that is just ahead of us, if we would live in light of eternity, we would see things quite differently. And so what we saw last week is eternity changes how we view success. It's not about uh, getting rich. It's not about climbing ladders. It's not about uh, achieving power or prestige in this life. It is about following God, being faithful to Him, and allowing God to work through us. That is what true success is. Uh, it also changes how we view our sufferings. Because even this, this poor beggar suffered immensely on this earth, but whenever he closed his eyes in death, all of that suffering was behind him, and he was comforted by the Lord. We might get upset at some of the things that happen in our lives. Things may not go the way that we want it to. There may be difficulties. There may be sickness. There may be things like that. And we may question God's love and his care for us, but as soon as we close our eyes in death, all of that's behind us. We've got heaven and eternity before us if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so it changes how we see suffering. It's just temporary. Changes how we see souls because every person we come in contact with is an eternal soul. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. And we have the opportunity to tell them how to know Jesus as their Savior. And that changes how we look at people. That uh, cranky person at work, it's someone that Jesus loves. Someone who Jesus died for and wants to see saved. And so that's going to change how we're going to look at these people. It changes how we see Scripture as well. Because as this rich man was begging Abraham, send Lazarus that he may tell all of my brothers about this place so they don't come here. And Abraham responded and says, they have, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God to inform them about everything they need to know. They have the word of God that is sufficient, that it is convincing enough if they will just read the word of God, if they will just trust the word of God. And Whenever the rich man said, no, they need a miracle. They need someone rose from the dead. They're not going to hear the scripture. They need something miraculous. Abraham responded and says, if they won't respect the scripture, if they won't believe because of the scripture, they're not going to believe because of something miraculous. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you, you all catch on to this or not, but that is a huge testimony for the word of God, for its sufficiency for its power, that it is more effective than even miracles. It's more effective than the supernatural. We have the Word of God that tells us everything that we need to know about how to get to heaven and how to live down below. Right. And whenever we see life from an eternal point of view, we have a different respect for the Word of God. And the last thing that we saw last week is whenever we have a, an eternal perspective, whenever we are living in light of eternity— it gives us a different uh, perspective, a different way to view our Savior. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a single one of us that can get to heaven by our own works, by our own merit, by our own goodness. There's not a single one of us that has any hope whatsoever outside of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But because of Jesus, because of his love for me, because of what he has done for me, 
I know that heaven is going to be my home. I know that one day he's going to welcome me in. He's going to bring me to that place that he prepares for me. And I have a great appreciation for my Savior. I would be lost for eternity if not for him. And so today what we're going to be looking at, I know this is uh, maybe a lengthy introduction, but you guys are getting used to that, right? But between those two stories is another one that Jesus told. Between the prodigal and the rich man, there's another story that Jesus told. And I kind of skimmed over it last week and I uh, passed over it. And afterward, I felt like I need to, to go back and revisit it. And so Jesus in the, the parable of the prodigal, he was teaching his audience to value people over wealth. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we are seeing that wealth is not important in light of eternity, right? That all of the things that you have down here on this earth, you're not going to take them with you. You know, there's never been a moving van behind a hearse. And so between that, Jesus is telling a story to challenge the people's view of wealth. And he means for the things, the blessings of this earth, for the things that we possess of this earth, to be a tool that we use, not a goal for us to pursue after, and not an end for us. And so stuff is our servant, it is not our master. So let's look at Luke chapter 16, in verse number 1. It says, And he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no excuse me, thou mayest be no longer a steward. Then the steward said unto him, What shall I do? Or said within, excuse me, said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me uh, the stewardship I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. And it, then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's go, excuse me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much, Lord, for this uh, passage of scripture that's before us, Lord. And I just pray that you would help and guide and give me wisdom and how to address this passage. Help me, Lord, to to preach it accurately and truly in a way that is beneficial to your people. I just pray with each person here that they would uh, get exactly what they need from this service. I pray help and encourage. I pray that you would be with us as we live out this, the principles of your word throughout the week. And Lord, I just pray if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day 
that they would call upon you, that they put their faith and trust in you alone for salvation and for the securing of their eternity. We thank you so much for all that you do and all things I pray in Jesus' name. And amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's probably not a very familiar passage. It's not one that's very popular. And it's one that is often kind of confusing to us because at a casual reading of this, it almost seems as if God, or excuse me, if, as if Jesus is commending a very dishonest man. It looks as if Jesus is kind of saying he did something good whenever he did something bad. Is that a little bit confusing? And even if you don't take it in that way, you find that Jesus is at least lifting him up as an example, right? And so that can be kind of confusing to us. And I've had people ask me about this passage before, and I've studied out and looked at it. But it is something that is very, um, very needful for us to understand this message. Now, if we take it and look at it in context, Jesus has these men who are covetous. He has these men who are seeking after wealth that are using individuals that are using their position as religious leaders to hold it over on other people, to amass wealth, to amass power, and to oppress other people. They have a completely wrong view of what God has given us blessings and given us provisions and has even given us material things for. They had a complete wrong view of it. And if I was to read one word here, uh, they actually begin to deride him. They begin to make fun of Jesus because of his teachings on wealth and possessions. They understood what he was saying, but they didn't like it. Okay? And so we're going to look at this today and break down this parable, see what Jesus is actually trying to say, because Jesus isn't telling us to go out and be, uh, to be deceptive. He's not teaching us to go out and to... Uh, be deceitful in the way that we are using our things or be dishonest in things. Instead, he is telling us a right view of the things that we have in our possession. Okay? So the first thing I want to look at in this is the parable of stewardship. Just breaking this down simply, there was a rich man who had a steward. That's not a very familiar term for us today. But a steward is someone who is entrusted with that which belongs to someone else. Okay? And they are a manager of somebody else's assets or their wealth. So for this rich man, he had houses and land. He had fields. He had servants. He had all kinds of things under his possession, and he hired someone to manage that. The steward's job was to take what his master owned, use it wisely in order to bring a, an increase to his master's uh, holdings. Okay, If the steward did a good job, the master would have more money, would have more possessions, would increase in wealth because of what the steward has done. We can see an example of this all the way back in Genesis uh, whenever we look at Joseph's life. Joseph became a steward in Potiphar's house. Though Joseph was sold into slavery, he was put over all of Potiphar's affairs. And Potiphar entrusted Joseph so much with his things that it says that he didn't know of any of the things that he possessed except for the food that he consumed. He says, I'm not worried about any of it. It's Joseph's problem. And so Joseph was able to buy and sell and get gain. He was able to use the things of Potiphar to increase Potiphar, and Potiphar's wealth increased exponentially under Joseph's care until Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph, right? And Joseph got thrown into jail. And what happened whenever he was in jail? He became a steward once again. 
He was put in charge of all the things that was in the jail. And the keeper of the jail said, I'm going to entrust a prisoner to do my job, and I'm going to sit over here and twiddle my thumbs and play cards. I mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't being a prison keeper because he said, that's Joseph's job. And prisoner satisfaction went up. You know, the conditions of the prison, everything went well under Joseph's care. Joseph was being a good steward. Then whenever Joseph became steward over the, the nation of Egypt, he managed the wealth of his master. See, in all three of these places, he was managing things that didn't belong to him. He did it well, and he brought gain and prosperity because he was following God. God was blessing it, right? Yeah. Okay, so back to our parable. The rich man had a steward that was not a Joseph. Okay? I think he had a steward that was a Judas. And so anyway, uh, this steward had been taking his master's stuff, and he got a little bit too comfortable in his position. He started taking the master's goods, using them for his own purposes. He started using his master's things to enrich himself. Basically, what he was doing was embezzlement, okay? He was wasting his master's goods. He was using them as if they were his own. He kind of lost the plot here, and he didn't see the things as belonging to his master. He saw them as belonging to himself. And so he misused it. Word got back to his master, and his master called him into his office, and he says, I've been hearing some things about you. I've been hearing that you've been uh, misusing my goods. I hear that you have been taking my trust and violating my trust here, and so you are going to have to give an account. I'm going to audit your books, is what he's telling him. And so I'm going to audit all of your books, and if the things that I have heard of you is true, you are going to lose your job. And well, the steward knew the things that he had heard was true. He knew that he was a scoundrel. He knew that he had cheated. And so he says, oh no, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job for being a cheat, no one else is going to hire me. I'm going to be on the streets. I'm going to be stuck digging ditches or I'm going to be stuck begging. And there's no way I'm going to do that. So I've got to do something clever. I've got to figure out a way to protect myself that whenever I'm put out of my position, I have somewhere to go. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call in all of my master's debtors, all the people who owe my master things, and I'm going to cut them a deal. I'm going to bring them in here, and I'm going to treat them so well that they are going to be indebted to me by using my master's things. So he's still using his master's things inappropriately, right? Now, I don't know if what he is doing is like taking his, uh, taking his commission off. I don't know if he was overcharging them and he was taking off the amount they overcharged or if he just altogether was being uh, dishonest toward his master. I don't know how it was. But anyway, he brings the one in and says, how much do you owe? And he says, I owe 100 measures. And he says, well, take it and write down 50. He knows exactly what he can get by with. He's basically saying, this is a limited time offer. If you pay up in full right now, I'll give you a 50% discount. They say, hey, that's a great deal. Here you go. And so he pays up. And now the, the steward has, uh, has assets to deal with, ones that are actually tangible in his hand. He says, look, I've got wealth. Okay. Then the other guy comes in. How much do you owe? He says, oh, I, I owe 100 measures as well. He says, well, write down 80, 20% discount. And both these guys go away saying, hey, I had a savings today. This guy really saved me a lot of money. I've really uh, struck it rich with this. This guy's a good guy. And he does this with all of the guys that owe his master. Is everybody following me so far? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so anyway, 
Word of this goes back to the master. And the master hears, your servant has been out there cutting deals with people, so he gets in their good graces, so they're indebted to him, so that whenever he gets out of here, that he's going to be able to find people that will either house him or give him a job. You know, he's released from his place, he goes down the road and he says, hey, you know what, I'm looking for some work, do you have something to do? He said, well, you help me out one time, I'll help you. And so the master hears about this, and he calls him in, and the way that the master deals with him, Verse number eight, and the Lord, his master, commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. And there's two terms in that verse that causes confusion for people, the term Lord and wisely. Okay? Now, remember, this isn't the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that says that he's done wisely. It is his master that may be just as dishonest as what he is. Who knows? But what his master is telling him is, he says, you have been very clever. That's the type of wisdom this is talking about. This is not godly wisdom. This isn't the kind of wisdom that we get from the scriptures. This is worldly wisdom. He says, you were quick thinking. You really know how to work the system. You really know how to do things. That was smart of you from a worldly point of view. Now, we don't know if he kept his job or if he lost it, but he had made provision for his future. So what is it that Jesus is trying to communicate by telling about this crooked steward? He is telling here in verse number eight, it says, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. What he is getting across in this parable is even the crooked steward had enough sense that when he was going to give an account for how he used the things that belonged to his master, that he was going to use those things to benefit him in the future. If men on this earth, if lost men know to prepare for the future, why don't believers who know that eternity lay ahead of them, why don't we make provision for our eternity? Why aren't we prioritizing the things of God? Why aren't we looking forward to heaven? Because usually what we are doing as Christians are we are so focused on the here and the now that we give no thought to the ever after. That is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. He says even lost men, even crooked and unjust stewards have enough sense to look beyond their current situation and make provision and preparation for the things that lie ahead. Why aren't we preparing for eternity? And so that is the parable of stewardship. Now, the principle of stewardship. All throughout Scripture, all throughout the New Testament, we find that over and over we are told that we are stewards. We find different parables that Jesus taught about the the master who went away and left his servants with so many talents or gave so much to each one of them. And he came back and he gave an account to how they used the things that they were given and he rewarded them accordingly. And in those parables, what he is saying is that we are not our own. We are bought with a price. He has went away for a time, and he has blessed us with many different things. He's given many different things into our hands to use for his honor, for his glory. And whenever he returns, he's going to reward us for how we use what he's entrusted us with. And so the principles of stewardship, we are stewards. We are not our own. As I said, we are bought with a price. Jesus has redeemed us. He has purchased us with his own blood. And so we belong to him. All the things that we have in this life are because of him and are for him. Okay? And so everything we have is God's. 
and he has entrusted it to us to manage for his glory. And we see that over and over throughout all these different illustrations in Scripture. The problem comes in whenever we start thinking that the things we possess are our own. The problem comes in whenever we start looking at this life as if it is uh, ours to live for ourselves, that we are here to buy and sell and to get gain. It is for us to enjoy, for us to have pleasure, and we give no, uh, no, pay no mind whatsoever to God, to his will, to his wishes, or to the future that he has for us. But we are busy building our kingdom down here below. There's another parable that is told of a rich man whose fields brought forth in abundance. And he says, I have so much stuff, I can't, don't even have places to store them. I'm going to tear down my barn and I'm going to build bigger so that I can possess all of these things. And then I'm just going to live it up the rest of my life. And it says that night he died. And he never got to enjoy the things because he was so focused on this life, he wasn't preparing for anything beyond. We see that in the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus as well, how he was rich toward himself, but he wasn't rich toward God or toward those who were around him. He wasn't using the things that God had blessed him for, for God's purposes. He was using them for his own purposes. And so as we see this principle of stewardship, we are not our own. The things that we possess are not ours. They are given of God for us to use. They are tools for us to use not things for us to covet after, not things for us to amass into ourselves. How do we use the things that God has given us? So as stewards, we use the things that God has given us to please God. We use our time, our talents, our treasures, our relationships, all of these things. God gave me this. What am I going to do with it? What would he have me to do with it? That should be our attitude toward our life and toward the things that we possess. What would God have me to do with this? And we also see that how we manage what God has entrusted to us is going to determine what else God will entrust to us. Okay? Look with me, if you will, down in verses 10 and 11. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches. If you look at how people handle the things that have been placed in their responsibility, even the small things, it will show you how they will handle the bigger things. If God has given you little blessings and you have taken them for granted and you have been unthankful and you have used them for your own purposes, what makes you think that you are deserving of greater and of bigger blessings? But on the other hand, whenever we take the things that God has given us, we are grateful for them and we use them for his glory, then God entrusts us with greater opportunity. He trusts us with greater blessings because we use what we have for his glory. He is glorified by it and he is pleased by it and he entrusts us with more. Okay? And this goes completely opposite of what you see in the, the prosperity gospel, right? Mm -hmm. The prosperity gospel says if you give God something as a token, then God's going to fill up your bank account so you can consume it upon your own lusts. Isn't that kind of what they preach? But God says we are stewards of the things that he is giving us, that he is blessing us with. So we use those wisely. We use those in ways that God is pleased with, that glorifies God. God gives us greater blessings, and we can use those things for God's glory, for God's kingdom. And by the way, 
if you're looking at this and you're thinking, oh, that's oppressive, that's something that's horrible. Whenever we are stewarding God's things well, not only does his cause increase, not only is he glorified, but we also increase with him. Going back to Joseph and thinking, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but going back to Joseph and thinking for a little bit, do you think that Joseph didn't benefit from Potiphar's increase? That Joseph didn't benefit from uh, Pharaoh's increase? Whenever we steward things well, God will bless us because we're faithful. Okay? And so if we view what God has entrusted us with as our own, we hold on to it selfishly, we waste it on things that aren't pleasing to God, we're not going to increase, we're not going to be entrusted with greater. But if I see life as something I steward for God's glory and I can use it wisely, God will give me more and more opportunity. He will entrust me with more and more. Just as an example on this, okay, just something that came to mind. If you've ever been familiar with the story of George Mueller, I know Kevin, Katie, and them, they went to uh, view the house over in uh, over in Bristol, uh, some of the orphanages and different things that George Mueller did. Uh, George Mueller never was a rich man, but there were millions of pounds that passed through his hand. He didn't go out on big fundraising things. He didn't go out and uh, present himself as anything great. He trusted God with everything. And the more that he trusted God and used the things that came into his hand for God's glory, God entrusted him with more and more and more. And though he was never a wealthy man, he built multiple schools, orphanages, ministered to tens of thousands of people. And what we're going to find, and I'm getting ahead of myself once again, what we're going to find whenever George Mueller made it to heaven, he had a huge welcoming committee. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who received him into everlasting habitations mm -hmm. because of how he used the things that was entrusted to him. Mm -hmm. So we saw the, the parable of stewardship. We saw the principles of stewardship. Now the practice of stewardship. We've just been looking at this in a general sense, I guess with the exception of George Mueller. Okay, We've been looking at this in a general sense, but what does this mean on a day-to-day -day level where we come down to everyday life? What does this principle of stewardship look like? If we apply these principles to our lives, if we see the things that we possess as not being our own, we're going to live completely different. Our attitude toward things is going to be completely different. In verse number 9 through 13, Jesus uses money, material possessions, as an example. Okay? It says, I say unto you, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive unto you, receive you unto everlasting habitations. So forth. Now there, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And so Jesus is using money as an example. And you all know that I hate talking about money. I try to stay away from it because so many people, uh, so many preachers have uh, used the passages in Scripture and different things to enrich themselves and to, to beat people over the head with. But truth be told, Jesus talked about money quite a bit. And one of the reasons why is how you use your money shows your priorities. Mm -hmm. Okay? If I say I love my wife, I'm going to spend money on her. Right? It's been said many times, if if you show me your bank statements, I'll show you your heart. You ever heard that? Yeah. Or something similar? Because you spend money on the things that you love. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so money is related to our heart. The Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. The love of money. 
That's whenever money has us instead of us having money. Okay? That makes sense to everybody? Did I lose you whenever I said money? I'm not going to pass the plate. Okay? I'm not going to take up the plate. But anyway, Jesus is using money to teach these people. He's telling the people in the crowd to use their wealth, their worldly goods, to win people to Christ. He says if you use these things to win people, the verse that I read, verse number 9, make yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Use your money as a tool to help people, to win people, to influence people for the cause of Christ. If you do this, then whenever you fail, when you die, you are going to be welcomed into glory by the multitudes of people that are there because of how you invested in this life. Mm-hmm. That is giving money to, uh, to ministry. It's giving money to uh, missions. It's giving money to help the needy. It's taking the things that God has given you and using those to benefit people rather than benefit self. And so we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. This is how we go about doing it. We use the things that God has given us in order to make an eternal impact, in order to invest in the future. We are eternally minded. We are living in light of eternity so that we are sending our treasures before us. Okay? And so the time that you give to show love of Christ and to share the gospel is time that's well used. The money that's given to the needy or to the spreading of the gospel is well used. Finding your talents or your gifts and how to use them for God is using them well. Prioritizing people and living for God is stewarding our lives well. It doesn't mean that we don't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that we don't have stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the creation of God and the blessings of God. But it means that we are looking at our lives and saying, how would God have me to do this? If I look at my very life, you know, my eyes don't belong to me. They are God's. Is that kind of weird? My eyes are not my own. They belong to God because God has purchased me. And so how am I using my eyes? Does The way that I'm using my eyes, the things that I'm looking at, the things that I'm using my eyes for, does it please God? Does it bring glory to him? Does it help me in serving him? My ears are not my own. They are God's. Am I using them in a way that pleases God? My mouth is not my own. Am I using it in a way that pleases God? This body, is it going in places and doing things that please God? And now let me step back just a moment on this. I'm not meaning this to be oppressive. I'm not meaning for this to be uh, harsh for us. Because if we look at this properly and we see we are not our own, we are God's. God has given us all of these things for our good and for his glory. He has given us these things to be stewards. It's not me saying, it's mine. How dare God make these demands of me? We're saying, it's God's that he has given me. How may I use it to please him? Okay? And God is not oppressive. God is not mean. God is not cruel. We find that the will of God is good and perfect. It is well-pleasing unto us if we are serving him. But here's the truth of the matter. If we will save our lives, we will lose it. If you say, this is all mine, I'm going to use it the way that I want to do it, that is oppressive. That is destructive. But if we lose our lives for Christ's sakes in the gospel, we will find it. In other words, a life that is lived in stewardship to God is a blessed life. Mm -hmm. It is a good life. And the devil would have us to think otherwise. The world would have us to think otherwise. Whenever we say, my stuff isn't my stuff, it's God's, I want to use it for him, the world thinks that's crazy. 
You want proof of that? Continue reading in verse 14. The Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. The world says this point of view is crazy, but if we put it in practice, if we say all the things that I have are God's, I'm going to use it according to the way that God has lined out in his word, according to how God says it should be used, then we are going to see an abundant life. Then we are going to see a life that actually is going to have significance. And not only that, one that is going to have benefits all the way into eternity. And if you don't believe me, put it into practice. Start thinking with eternity in view and say, how would God have me to do this? My paycheck is not my own. How would God have me to spend it? Okay. My children are not my own. How would God have me to raise them? My wife is not my own. How would God have me to treat her? Right? This church is not mine. How would God have me to lead it? How would God have me to pastor it? Right? That is a complete different perspective. And so we are doing everything with thinking about how God would have me to steward what he has entrusted me with for his glory. And it will completely turn our lives upside down in a good way. It'll be completely different than the way that we normally would do things. And so as we're looking at all of this, we say, well, that's all fine and good, but it seems like it puts us in the bad end of things. Taking all these things that I thought was mine and now you're telling me they're not mine, it seems like I'm the loser in this, right? But here's the thing. Whenever we are stewards for God, our God is a good master, a generous master, a loving master, right? It's loving God. And there is a payday for stewardship. Mm -hmm. There's a payday for stewardship. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58, he says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's paying attention to everything that we do. God is a debtor to no man. He will pay, he will reward every man who serves him. Whenever we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, it is a familiar passage of scripture. It says that all of our works will be tried to see what manner they be. And oftentimes we look at that passage and we see it in a negative we see the fact that works are going to be burned up, that we're going to suffer loss. And oftentimes that is preached in such a way it's heavy and it is almost fearful, right? But if we turn that around, if we look at that in the right way, all the things that we do for God, whenever we are stewards for God, whenever we rightly use the things that he's entrusted, when we live in light of eternity, God rewards us. He says those are gold and silver and precious stones. Those are rewards that come for us. So we're laying up treasures in heaven. We're looking to the future. We're saying there's going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day whenever I'm going to give an account. There's going to be a day whenever uh, the books will be laid open and God's going to see how I have stewarded my life and he's going to say he used my life or he used the life that I have given him for my glory and I'm going to reward him. I'm going to glorify him because of what he has done, right? And he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And that is a future payout. But it's not even just in the future. It's not just, okay, well, we've got to struggle and work hard and fuss throughout this entire life. And one day it's going to pay off. But we also find that it pays off in this earth down here below. We find in Matthew chapter number 19, verses 28 through 29, the Lord has talked about 
uh, the rewards that was going to go to different people and things like that. And Peter speaks up because, you know, Peter. And he says, we have left all and followed you. What will we get? And Jesus tells him that no man who has left houses or land or family or any of these things for the cause of Christ, no man is going to, uh, let me turn over there because I'm messing it up. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, verse 27. I'll go ahead and read it all. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he's saying for the apostles, they're going to have a future place in his kingdom. By the way, I believe all Christians are going to have a future place in his kingdom. But verse 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. If you look at the parallel passage of that in Mark, he says that you'll receive a hundredfold in this life. So he says, down here below, if you steward what I have given you well, if you look at your life as not being your own, but you are bought with a price and you are using it for God's glory, I'm going to reward you now and I'm going to reward you in eternity. It is a blessed life serving God. It is a blessed life stewarding our lives for God's glory, for his purposes. And so he rewards us. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. He tells us in Matthew chapter number 6, verse 33, I quote this one often, but he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's talking about just before that, all the things that we stress and we work and we fret ourselves over trying to have on this earth, our housing, our clothing, our food, all these things. You constantly hear on TV and on the radio and different things. You read about it on the internet. Maybe that's more accurate now. You read about it that there's housing crisis, there's cost of living crisis. Everybody's worried how they're going to pay the bills. Everybody's worried how they're going to heat their home. The food is uh, so much more expensive. The fuel is so much more expensive. And Jesus tells his disciples, if you will take care of eternal things, if you will look to spiritual matters, if you will steward what I have given you well, I will make sure you have all of the material, all of the mammon that you need to take care of this life below. You see that in Luke chapter 16, where we were just at, it says, verse 11, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's the worldly things, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you use this life, if you use the blessings of God for eternal benefits, God will see that your temporary needs are met. The psalmist said, I am old and I've been young and I've not seen the, right, the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. David said, I've been alive for a long time and God takes care of his own. Y'all realize that? This isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't that you can live a wicked and rotten life and throw a little bit of money in an offering plate once in a while and God's going to make your bank account explode. That's telling you just simply here and now, if you live for the Lord, if you live your life in a way that pleases God, God will take care of you and he will reward you for it. Just what I was talking about with George Mueller there a little bit ago, whenever it says here in verse number nine, 
He says, I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive unto you, receive you into everlasting habitations. He says, if you use the things that I have given you to win souls, to impact people's lives, whenever you get to heaven, they're going to be welcoming you in. And I hate to think about the person who's so blessed by God but takes it for granted, never does anything for God's glory or for eternal purposes. One of these days they get to heaven and it's like, anybody? There was a song that was out several years ago, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Anyone ever hear that? It's talking about getting to heaven and all of the people it says, because you gave, I'm here, basically. Because you went, because you said, because you spoke up, because you used your life for God's glory, I'm here today. Imagine the welcoming, welcoming committee that Paul had. We're still going to be able to, to give credit to Paul. We're going to say, because of your writings, we knew about God. We knew how to follow him. Paul's probably getting sick of it by now. Every new person that comes says, hey, you had a part in this, right? But are we stewarding our lives for God's glory? Are we using what God has given us in a way that pleases him? Are we using our lives and actually looking to eternity, looking to heaven beyond? Do we really believe that heaven awaits us? Do we really believe that there is an eternity? Do we really believe that he has went to prepare a place? And if we do, why aren't we using this life to prepare for that? And so in conclusion, as the world is trying to prepare for the future and for retirement, for all these different things, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that as well, but as the world is trying to prepare for the future, we as Christians should have eternity in view. God has given us many things, and it would be a shame for us to waste them on temporary pleasures and on things of this world and ignore eternity as it's approaching. And so consider all that you possess to be from God. Aim to use it in ways that please Him. Live righteously. Encourage the brethren. Seek to witness to the lost. And live each moment with eternity in view. And God will reward you both now and in eternity for being a faithful steward. And one day, whenever you enter into glory, you're going to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in unto the joy of our Lord, and you will have no regrets for any any time, any talent, any treasures that you spent for the cause of Christ, because you will reap an eternal benefit for using what God has given you for his glory. Nothing that we have is our own. He has given us tools to lay up treasures both now and eternity, if we will just live with eternity in view. Let's go to the Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much, Lord, for this passage, Lord. I know we often skip over it, and I was even guilty of doing so last week. But it's so instructive for us, Lord. I know that you have blessed us abundantly, so much more than what we what we deserve. And really, in our generation, we have so much more than even in anyone before us. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Help us, Lord, to use the things that you've blessed us with for your glory, for your benefit, for the cause of, uh, for cause of Christ and the sake of the gospel. And Lord, we look forward to that day that we will see you face to face. Lord, we want to hear well done. Help us to live for you now that we will be able to enjoy those things then. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen.